0: Hey guys, for this episode of improvement, we have one another special guest. And so the format for this episode will be a little bit unorthodox. And so this is actually one of my former classmates. His name is Robbie Porter and we both went through the finance program at Texas A&M in the base in the Mays business school. And so to give you some background on what we'll be talking about in this episode, basically due to the fact that we should be experts in this topic, we're going to give you tips on how to be financially successful while in college. And so thanks for coming on the show, Robbie.
1: I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, no problem. And so I guess just to give the listeners a little bit of information about you, what would you like to tell them about yourself?
1: Yeah, sure. So the main reason I actually got into finance was because of the 2008 financial crisis. It really impacted my family. And my dad is a small business owner. He owns a couple of small businesses, and the financial crisis just It was very hard on my family and you know as a 12 year old 13 year old boy i didn't fully understand the gravity of the situation and why things happen and how the bank allowed things to happen and so that really piqued my interest and so when i went to texas a&m things just lined up and i was really fortunate to get into the finance program there and things just took off and i really found my passion
0: all right and so uh, i'm pretty sure that definitely a lot of people can relate to your story and Because a lot of our parents probably went through tough times during the financial crisis as well, and so it's, I'm glad to have you on the show, and I'm sure you can offer a unique perspective. And once we get into these tips, I'm sure we'll be able to offer a lot of value to the listeners.
1: Sounds good. I'm I'm really hoping that you know some young men can learn from the mistakes that I've made and and come out the other side better.
0: Yeah, hoping they can learn from mine too because I made plenty of them while I was in college, and so. Yeah, which we both have. (laughs) Yeah, so if they can avoid these, then they should be fine. They should be solid. And so to go ahead and hop in, uh, we have a few bullet points that we have listed out, some different things that we brainstormed and came up with, guys. And so we'll go to the first one, and that is to be strategic with where you choose to go to school and what type of degree that you want to get. And so, Robbie, I'll give you the chance to go ahead and touch on that one first. What would you like to add to that
1: bullet point? Sure. So I think this is probably one of the most important decisions you'll ever make. And I'm not trying to put pressure on, on those who are, you know, going to school or things like that. But the really the point we're trying to drive home here is that you need to be looking at your long term return on investment because you are giving a lot of money and a lot of your time to be pursuing this degree. So a couple of factors that you need to consider is how long will it take for you to pay off your student loans? right? So if it takes you 10, 20 years, that's a really long time period to be sacrificing to get this degree. So if it takes longer for you to potentially pay off student loans, there are a couple of alternatives to doing so. You can either choose a school that's more affordable. And what I did was choosing to do summer classes at a community college in between fall and spring semester, because, you know, it's a 10th of the price. And then also you need to be looking at Okay, when you graduate with said degree, what is the potential for salaries and how quickly can you pay it back? And that's what I mean by return on investment is because you are your own best business. And so you really need to be thinking strategically in, you know, what is the best possible degree I could get for myself, but also I enjoy and it pays the bills well enough. What are your thoughts on it, Kamani?
0: So I agree with what you're saying, and I can definitely Say that that was a similar process that I went through whenever I was thinking about what degree and what school I wanted to go to. And so, something I would add to that is that not all degrees are created equal, you know, as you were saying, but also the school does make a difference and to do a deep dive into that. Let's say if we had to choose between going to AM or going to Baylor, a public school versus a private school. Finance degree is a great degree, but the thing about it is that if you're paying, let's say, 50,000 a year or something for that same degree, but you could have gone to a public school to get it for probably less than half the price. It seems just like a better bang for your buck to go to the public school. So that's one thing that I think that the listeners should also consider if they're in that age range where they're assigned to go to college. And I think another thing that should also be considered is the fact that, like you said, your degree and your earning potential can make a big difference in how quickly you can pay back your student loans. And so let's say if your income potential is capped out at let's say 40,000 or $50,000 a year, and you go to that private school, it will take you probably decades to pay off your student loans. And so I think that that's something that people overlook, but we need to practice being strategic about, and I'm glad that we can take this opportunity to push that to guys and make sure they have that in their heads whenever they make these decisions.
1: Right. And one more thing I completely forgot until just now was you need to also be thinking about the potential alumni network of your university of choice. You had a very good example of Baylor versus Texas A&M. Both are phenomenal schools. Both business schools are phenomenal. I'm not discounting either one. However, Texas A&M does have a notoriously strong alumni network and I have gotten countless job opportunities you know contract assignments just because I'm an Aggie and just because I was in the Corps of Cadets and that is such an invaluable intangible thing that you can't really put a dollar amount on so whenever you're thinking about these potential schools right you need to be considering okay well what's the reputation of this school is it well known what is it well known for you know Things like that. And not only that, but does it have the potential to have good network connections that can help you out in a moment of crisis?
0: I can definitely see what you're saying, and I can just see how the A&M network is had an effect on my career trajectory. As far as different opportunities, I've gotten in internships and then eventually landing the full-time offer. And so one thing I will say is that anybody that goes to Texas A&M and does their, jo- does their job through school, gets to grades and everything, it's pretty much guaranteed that you'll find employment, you know, with how big the network is, especially if you stay in Texas, it seems like it's almost impossible to not be able to leverage your network with um, how loyal Aggies are to Aggies. Uh, just being able to get different interview opportunities uh, for positions where I don't think I normally would have been a prime candidate, but knowing people that work for the company that were also a graduates and being able to talk to them, was one of the things that was was opening up doors for me as I went through the hiring process for internships junior year and then full-time offer senior year.
1: Right. And for the listeners of this podcast, in case you haven't picked up on it, Kamani and I have both drank the Kool-Aid of Texas (laughs) A&M. So any chance we get, we're always saying how great it is. But, you know, that's not the point. What we're trying to drive home here is that um, the network of your school is what's really important here. And the second thing I think that, we should focus on when talking about college is apply for any and all scholarships that you can. And this was something I made the mistake of early on in my college career was, you know, I was like, oh, that's that's a future be problem, you know, being really naive <laughs> in that. And my it really clicked for me when my mother told me that she was given a scholarship back when she was going to school for being over six foot and being a woman. And so You know, it's kind of a peculiar combination being a woman who's over six foot, but that really got me to looking into okay, well, what kind of weird scholarships are there out there? And I have the fortunate, you know, blessing of being a little bit Native American. But if if you looked at me, I'm, you know, tall and red haired, so you wouldn't suspect that. But I have just enough Native American blood to give me scholarship grants and clothing stipends and money for textbooks. And so any dollar that you can get you should definitely apply for it because, you know, on the off chance, you just might get it. So how'd they get you to prove that like ancestry.com or something like that? Well, just two generations back. So my grandpa, he looks just like a native American, right? He's got the the facial structure like the cheekbones and the dark skin and stuff like that. And then when he married my grandma, it got diluted with a whole bunch of German heritage and stuff like that. And so I have an actual card for my tribe because I went back in 2013 with my dad's help and, and got certified, I guess you could say, that I'm actually Native American. And that's really all they needed was, you know, that little ID number, and then mm-hmm. I was all set.
0: And yeah, to touch on scholarships. I know one of the main things that helped me to pay for school was the Corps of Cadets uh, with uh, going to the financial aid office that they have within the Trigon and applying for some of their small scholarships. That was one of the things that helped me uh, during different semesters. And coming in also had a lot of financial aid from FAFSA too. And so that made it to where school was cheaper, but regardless, I still had to pay about, uh, I would say, you know, maybe a quarter to about half of the expenses uh, every year. And so one of the things that helped me was really just working part-time and also, working full time during the summers, I did a commission sales job for about two or three summers while I was in school. And it made it to where I was able to make it to the second semester of my junior year without having to take out loans. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. when you do regular internships and things, they might not pay as much as sales, but it at least made it to where I didn't have to take out any like considerable amount of student loan debt. Like right now, uh, my balance is about it, maybe 8K. And so that was just Good one for of the- I mean, it was a blessing because, uh, you know, if I went the normal route and just hung out during the summers like I wanted to do, I could have, you know, probably had 20 to 30, maybe even 40K in student loans. But just from working during school and making a budget for paying uh, my different expenses, it made it to where I was able to come out with a low balance still having student loans. But at least it's not something that's going to take forever to pay off. Yeah, I mean, depending yeah. on what happens with this uh, with this Biden Act, thinking about doing the student loan forgiveness, uh, it might get forgiven. But if not, I'll probably just try and pay it off in a lump sum or something on my next tax return. It really just depends.
1: Yeah, I mean, you you hit on a, a number of great points, and I, I'm going to reiterate them so the listeners can hear because I know with me at least it takes two or three times to get something through my thick skull. Um, <laughs> but student loans—they're very valuable. Right. If you, if your parents can't help you out, or, or you know whatever your situation is, sometimes it is okay to take out debt. However, there is a big asterisk next to it, and you need to be careful on which loans you put yourself into. And so you need to be looking into, like the fine nitty-gritty of the terms of those agreements. You know, for example, it may be based on a certain fluctuating rate, and that's a huge negative because that rate could go up over time. And so you need to be, I'm not trying to talk about interest rates because really nobody likes that, but you, know, you need to be very careful before you sign your name away and attach yourself to this debt because you'll be paying it off, like you said, for years and years. And then not only that, but working a part-time job if you have to is probably one of the best things you can do in school, right? We were both so busy. We were in the core. We were in a top tier finance program in the country. So just by that, just that in and of itself was extremely difficult. But because we had expenses and we were dedicated to not taking out loans, we worked part time jobs. We worked multiple part time jobs so we can help <laughs> yeah. offset that interest payments later. Right. I, I think it doing school is very doable and doing it with a part-time job is equally as doable. You just need to be very careful with you know, where you do it.
0: Yeah. One of the things that uh, you brought up that I think is very important is making sure that you know the different terms of the loans that you're looking at. And so one of the things that I made sure to do when I was taking out loans is only took out subsidized loans. And so I think the subsidized is either subsidized or unsubsidized whichever one is the one where the interest doesn't accumulate until after you graduate Mm -hmm. and so i got lucky because uh when i was taking out the loans throughout school the the standard balance was remaining the, the the initial balance and then whenever the virus happened they deferred that uh to even further in the future and so even now it's still not accumulated gain, sort of interest. And so at least until I heard the talks about the student loan forgiveness, I have been trying to pay it off in big chunks, maybe like 250 a month or something like that, as opposed to what they had for their payment plan, which I think was like 50, $60 a month right. or something like that. But that's definitely a good point, making sure you look at the terms for the loan, because uh, that's something that can really bite you in the butt in the future. And to go back to the thing about scholarships, the prime time to apply for those it's going to be like either your junior or senior year of high school. So if it's too late right now, it's, it's too late. But for anyone that's in that age range, this is the that is going to be the absolute best time you can apply for it because that's when the majority of them will be available. I remember when I was going through different scholarship search platforms, uh, my freshman, sophomore, and junior years, so many of them, I would say about 75, 80% of them, uh, you had to be a high school senior, or a high school junior, to even be eligible to apply for them. And they were like the the scholarships with the bigger dollar amounts. And so of course you can still find some throughout school, but the thing is, it's going to be a lot more competitive and also the amounts are most likely going to be lower. And so that's something that you guys should definitely keep in mind whenever you're going through that process of trying to figure
1: out how to pay for school, it's better to do it early than late. Pretty much the same case with everything else. Yeah, and something else interesting that Kamani and I didn't have to think about is whether or not to take the SAT or ACT, right? It was pretty much a college requirement to get into any school. But now since I think admissions started, let's see, the pandemic hit 2020. So those who were applying for school, I guess going to be coming into fall 2021, no longer had to take the SAT or ACT as a requirement, right? Because they were prevented from doing it in their test monitored environment. And so this really got schools to thinking, You know, well, is this even, should this be a requirement? Should these standardized tests be requirements? And more schools are choosing not to make it as a requirement. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because, yes, while you may get into the school, but a lot of scholarships will depend on your ACT and your SAT score. So it is still immensely important to take those exams, take them very seriously, because that's gonna determine how much scholarship you can get. And then also just to really drive home one more fact that Kamani and I were talking about is read those terms of your loan agreement. Things like when do the payments first start? You know, do they start immediately after you graduate? Do they start a couple of years? Not only that, but is the interest rate gonna be moving up and down or is it locked in at a specific rate? You know, what is that specific rate? can you go back later and refinance it, or can you pay it back early? And this is something I think we'll talk about in a couple of minutes, but if you have the ability to pay it back early, do it, because you're gonna be saving yourself thousands of dollars in interest. And we'll go thousands into those exciting facts and figures in just a minute.
0: Yeah, I agree. And so we'll definitely make sure to touch on that. And so one point I want to make sure we, that we don't skip over is uh, also being careful about what you use loans to pay for. And so for people that may not be familiar with this or you know, just haven't done it, it's a good thing. But one thing I noticed is that a lot of people will use student loans to finance a certain type of lifestyle while they're in school. And so to give you an idea of what I mean, paying for expensive apartments, spring break trips, that sort of thing, pretty much anything that's not really necessary or not related to school, do not use loans to, to pay for Just like what I talked about earlier, getting a part-time job to pay for some of those small expenses here and there, that should be what you would do to supplement that. But I would say student loans need to only go towards things that are absolutely necessary for school.
1: Yes, that's an excellent point. And I can probably count on both hands the number of people that did exactly what you're talking about. They took out a student loan to go on some fancy spring break trip. Right. And I I think that's incredibly foolish um, because debt, while it is a scary topic, it is an important lever to get you to the things that you absolutely need. You know, one of which is buying a house. If you do have the fortunate capacity to buy a house in cash, by all means do it. But probably most of the population does not have that option. And that is one of those cases where taking out debt is acceptable. Another one is, you know, student loans. And, and one caveat I think we should have mentioned beforehand is Kamani and I are not financial advisors. We're not giving you or telling you recommendations on you know how to live your, your lives. We're merely reflecting on decisions and things we wish that we would have known when we were in your shoes.
0: And I think this is one of yours that you added. Something important that you're terrible at was rewarding yourself after hitting big financial milestones, right? So would you like to elaborate <laughs> on that?
1: Yes. So I was raised with very much a bulldog mentality, right? And what I mean is just go at it with everything you have and don't stop until it's completely finished, right? And I I love that mentality. That's one of the reasons I think that I've done so well, you know, given my circumstances, but something I am terrible about is rewarding myself in a small way when I hit a big milestone, Right. I'm a believer in that my hard work is reward enough, but through time, it can also make doing those horrible, not horrible things, but those difficult things, in order to get through them, I need to give myself small rewards to make the mental side of it a little bit easier. And so, for example, you know, working really hard to pay off your loans early is great. And there is some gratification to that. However, in order to keep yourself mentally sane, you should probably reward yourself a little bit. And so, you know, for example, every time that you hit, let's say the 25% mark, so you've paid off 25% of your loan, you go out and you give yourself a nice little dinner for, you know, 20 bucks, right? $20 is not that much of an expense to make yourself feel proud and to really treat yourself. A wow. Okay. I've made it 25% of the way to my financial goal. That is a big deal. And you need to be celebrating yourself because A lot of people, it takes them a lot longer to get to that milestone. And I know I've already said it, but you are your own business and you need to be investing in yourself over time. And so this means you need to be doing things to invest in yourself and your mental sanity. But with anything too much of a good thing can be a bad thing. So don't go overboard with rewarding yourself because, you know, you may just be undoing all the work you just did.
0: They definitely should make sure that we're um that we're cautious about that. You know, like you say, that's one thing to pay, you know, twenty dollars here or there, you know, for a dinner to reward yourself. But we want to make sure that we aren't taking that to the max to where uh, your reward is pretty much killing all the progress that you made. So that's a good point that you made.
1: For sure. And yeah, <laughs> the other meals that I eat in between those 25% marks is probably really, really cheap. So that $20 meal is a it's a big deal for me.
0: Yeah, I would say while I was in school, it was rare that I would get any type of meal eating out that was more than with maybe 10 to
1: $12. Yeah, pretty much everything was,
0: was cheap out there in College Station. So with maybe torchies or something like that, getting a few tacos or anything like that or canes or lanes. But yeah, it was rare that I would spend probably more than $15, $20 on a meal.
1: Yeah, I would cap myself at 10 bucks because unlike all my friends, I was not on a scholarship that would just pay for that kind of thing. And not only that but it kept me a little bit more trimmed than them so <laughs> <laughs> i mean
0: you see it paid off now so yeah all right and so the next topic we can touch on is credit cards and oh so this boy. is a uh, this is a dangerous one but it's one where if you leverage it the proper way it can create some major benefits for you so go ahead and hop into that one uh one thing that i will recommend you know at least when it comes to getting Um, your first credit card or building up your credit before you do that is to make sure that your parents put you as a uh, authorized user. I think that's what it's called on their account. And so that's one of the things that can build up your credit without you even having a card. So that way, when it gets to the point to where you're our age, uh, 23 years old, about to be 24 later in the year, and you're looking to make other different decisions, such as moving into new apartments and things like that. You don't have to put down a deposit or anything of that sort if you have good credit already. So that's the first thing. But when it comes to getting credit cards for yourself, make sure that you only do it specifically to build credit. You shouldn't be using credit cards to pay any type of serious expenses or anything. Any money that you would need for those expenses should already be in your checking account. And so whenever you use the credit card every month, it should be easy just to pay off that balance. It should only be for building credit, I would say.
1: Yeah, that's a very good point. Everything you said was a very good point. And something we talked about earlier was you know not funding a lifestyle with loans. And the same thing applies here, but with a credit card, right? And so there's many, many quote unquote rules of thumb you should use when spending your credit. But the rule I like to do is 10% of your credit limit, spend that each month, right? This helps you to control how much you use your credit card for, Number two, it also helps you to build your credit. Number three, it's an easy enough payment at the end of the month to where it's not breaking the bank. No pun intended. <laughs> and, <laughs> I, like, I like bank and finance jokes, and I'm sorry for, for that one. <laughs> no, you're, you're fine. You're fine. Uh, but yeah. a couple of other things I think that we really should drive home, and this one I'm really passionate about and you already hit a good one is your parents can add you as a a co-user, or I, I forget the exact technical language. So before you actually get your own credit card, you actually already have credit. So you're leaps and bounds ahead of your cohorts. And not only that, but when you do get your first credit card, you need to be extremely careful because typically, I'm not saying all of them, but typically all the flashy cards, you know, with the travel miles and the 5% cash back and all of these great features, there's going to be a hidden agenda item on the credit cards side, because while you think you can get 100% of all those benefits, they're betting and they have lots of statistics and math to back up that you will not hit that. And that's how they're going to get their money is they can charge higher interest rates for all these extra perks. And it's really dangerous because these credit card companies prey on college kids because they flash these parties and these vacations and saying, oh, with our cards, you can have all of this stuff, you know, you can see the world and get cash back. And it's such a trap and it's a very predatory move in my opinion. But I was very fortunate to have a father who helped steer me away from this and educate me on how this all works before even getting my first credit card. So a couple of the requirements that I had when I got my first credit card was that there was no special features. It was very vanilla, right? So I know it's kind of lame, but the whole assignment on getting a credit card is to build your credit when you're young, right? So I looked for the cheapest interest rate. I also looked at other things like that, but I also waited a while before getting a credit card. I didn't even have my first credit card until I was 21 years old, right? And that may be a little bit extreme for a lot of you, but I was very conservative at the time. and. I was fortunate enough to have saved a lot of money from working a lot during high school and college where I didn't need one. Um, But, you know, you may be thinking, well, 21 is too late to start building credit. But that is an incorrect statement, in my opinion, because in just a year, I built my credit to where it's, you know, pretty exceptional for for a 12-month timeline. And the reason I was able to do that was because I was very methodical about how much I use a credit card for and how quickly I paid it off. And so I have it set up to pay off on the third Thursday of every month, right? So it's automatic. It just withdraws it from my checking account and pays out the outstanding balance of my credit card. And I think that's incredibly important because if you roll over that balance on your credit card, you're going to have to pay interest on that, right? So let's do some numbers here. Let's say you had $100 on your credit card for the month and you didn't pay it off. What you may not know is you have probably, if you're close to our age, anywhere between 20 and 25% interest, right? So $100 plus 25% interest is $25. So now instead of paying $100, you don't have to pay $125. And that interest keeps snowballing and snowballing just over and over. The longer you don't pay it, the, the worse it gets. And one of my very good friends, he, the credit card companies got their hooks in him. And he is now under the impression that if you only make the minimum payment, you will eventually pay off your entire loan. And it's very heartbreaking to me because he genuinely believes that, even though I showed him the numbers and said, there's no mathematical way you will be able to do this with your interest rate. And so, you know, he still goes out and buys tons of things that he should not be putting in his body Uh, but it really hurts me because I care about this individual and he's so far in debt. It's going to take him decades. And I mean, plural to, to get out of it. And I'm sure Kamali that you have friends who are in similar situations.
0: Yeah. Family too, uh, that are still paying credit card loans and student loans to this day in their later years of life, forties, fifties. And so it's definitely unfortunate. And I think one thing that we forgot to touch on that we should also make clear is that the normal way that people use credit cards, just because it's the norm doesn't mean that it's the right way. And so ideally, yes. So ideally you should never have a balance that's accumulating on your credit cards where it's even accumulating interest in the first place. That's why with us being young, me and Robbie and having credit cards with, with rates that are in the high twenties, it really doesn't make a difference because we pay them off every month regardless. So we never do actually accumulate that interest that's something you should consider using a credit card and leaving a balance on it is not financially responsible. The reason why you should get a credit card should be just to build your credit, just to be able to make that credit score go up, just to be able to provide you with opportunities in the future. You shouldn't actually be using a credit card out of necessity. If you need that extra money, what you need to do is just get a a part-time job or something like that to give you the extra money that you would get from the credit card. But the thing is, if you already couldn't afford to do that without the credit card, charging on the credit card pretty much is in the same spot because now you just have to pay interest in that same amount that you didn't have in the first place. So You can never win. So that's something you guys should definitely keep in mind. I just wanted to make that clear. Just because your mom or your dad or anybody else is using credit cards in that way does not mean that it's the right way to do it. Just because it's common doesn't mean that it's correct. And then the next thing I'll touch on is please, please, please do not pay tuition or any other types of you know huge expenses on a credit card, yeah. unless it's like your parents and it's like an Amex card where they pay it off every month. Anyway, I think that's a requirement for Amex where you can't have a accumulating balance in like the gold card or the platinum. But unless it's something like that and that's boosting towards their travel points or anything like that, this is your credit card. Do not put any type of huge expenses on your credit card, like tuition or anything like that. And here's the reason why there are plenty of other options you can take for emergency loans that will be a lot cheaper interest wise than that credit card. And so, to give you an example, there was a point in time during my junior year where I didn't have the money saved up to make one of my payments, one of my quarterly payments for that semester. And so I applied for an emergency loan and it covered it. And then later down the road, I picked up a loan that was at a much, much lower interest rate than the emergency loan, because of course, that's how they make their money on those having an exorbitant rate on it. And I paid it off before it accumulated that interest. And taking that cheaper loan, which was the subsidized loan, made it to where interest hasn't even accumulated on that one. And so it was just a regular interest-free loan for me so far. And so that's something you guys should definitely consider. Do not take out any type of... um, any type of credit card debt for those types of expenses.
1: That's a very good point. And I like to say that paying off a debt with a credit card is like fixing a compound fracture with a Band-Aid. <laughs> it does nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty good analogy. Yeah, and something else that we've said a couple of times is you know getting a part-time job. So you may think that you're really busy and you deserve you know that extra perk that you're using your credit card for. Number one, you really don't. You don't need it to survive. And if you really do need it, the number two, getting a part-time job is not beneath you. It's completely 100% okay to take a part-time job. Don't let it impact your ego because, you know, me personally, I'd rather have a small ego and not have any debt than have a giant ego and have a lot of debt. So even if it's just as simple as like bagging groceries or working at Best Buy, which is what I did, but- you know, having that part-time job really makes it a lot easier to be financially responsible.
0: Right. And you can find plenty of part-time jobs on campus that will be easy to manage while you're in school. And so I know a few of the different part-time jobs that I had, they were during times where I would have been doing something else anyway that wasn't making me money, or there were jobs where I was at a help desk or something similar. So that way I could just do my homework on the clock and pretty much get paid to do my schoolwork. And so those were some of the things that gave me an advantage, especially during my senior year, uh, to be able to get the money that I needed to pay different expenses uh, and not take out loans.
1: And a fun fact for you, if you work through the university, odds are you will not get taxed because of student tax exemption. So fun fact for you there. And we're not, all of this to say, all of this giant rant uh, about credit cards is not to say that you should avoid them and that they're the devil, What we are trying to say is that you need to be very careful and strategic when using them. And a couple of tricks that we've already talked about, you know, is be smart with the card that you choose. Get the one with the lowest interest rate possible and try to avoid the cards with lots of perks, because those are going to be the cards with higher interest rates. Set yourself a limit on how much credit you're going to spend each month. So if you have a $1,000 credit limit, spend no more than 10% of that credit card, each month so that's a hundred dollars you know per month that's very easy to pay it off set up an auto pay feature for your outstanding balance because most credit cards these days have that feature that way you don't even have to think about or stress about the interest. and number four i think is also very important too we haven't talked about is that if your debt gets out of control don't take out a larger loan to pay back other debt that you have and number two it's okay to ask for help from family from friends or maybe a consultant, I'm not sure about that, but you know, it doesn't make you any lesser of a man or an individual to admit you need help. In my opinion, I think it takes a bigger individual to admit when you need help and to seek it out because this is a very serious topic and it cripples millions of people every year.
0: Yeah. And the thing about it is that if guys had it figured out like they thought they did, then they wouldn't be in those spots in the first place. So that's proof right there that you should definitely ask someone else with more expertise for their help if you're in a certain spot like that. And you touched on ego. We should have let our ego get in the way of our best interest. And so to touch on one of the things that you slightly touched on, we can get into budgeting next. And so one of the things that I've done to help with budgeting is downloading the app Mint. And so basically uh, the way it works is that you have different categories for spending that you can set up. You can set dollar limits. And that way it helps me to be able to stay within a certain range to where I get my savings goals, my investing goals, still pay student loan payments, et cetera, et cetera, and not break the bank or anything like that. And so if you'd like to add anything to that, we can keep going on budgeting.
1: Yeah, sure. I think Mint is a, a phenomenal app. And you know I'm going to again put an asterisk and say again, we're not financial advisors, we're not you know, telling you what to do and stuff like that. We're just giving you tips that we've had that have given us success. And so budgeting is something that I've heard my dad say for years and years. And so, you know, I put it off as that's just something dad said. But it's something I wish I would have done a lot earlier in my adulthood. And so I think there's three easy steps to budgeting, build the plan, stick to the plan and review the plan. And so this first part Kamani mentioned is using meant to create your budget. It's building the plan right? This is the easiest part. So you need to sit down, you need to review your life spending and determine what are the main categories that you need that you need to have to spend money on to survive, right? So some categories are, you know, rent, food, <laughs> gasoline, if you commute a lot, things like that. And the reason you need to be thinking about this is so you can manage your cash flow. And what I mean by that is you need to be able to determine where your money is going at the end of each month so your bank account just doesn't read zero at the end of the month. And so I do it a little bit differently, right? I'm very distrustful of putting my financial information into pretty much anything. So I use my own custom Excel sheet that communicates directly with my bank. And so I'm able to set up, you know, in terms of percentages, how I want my money spent, right? So I'm a firm believer in tithing and pre-tax dollars. So I give 10% of my annual income before I do anything with it. And then I have every other category, you know, savings and investments, rent, food, transportation, all of those are broken out in percentages. That way I know no matter how much money I make a month, this is my hard stop limit. Right. And so I've already mentioned a couple of those and we don't have to go into the deep details of that, but you know, you can do dollar amounts like Kamani does. You can do percentages, but basically you need to be doing something. Something is better than nothing. <laughs> right.
0: And so I would say the dollar amounts come from percentages that I've set. And I noticed from looking at this budget you have here in the document, you put 35% for rent, insurance, utilities. And so that's roughly about mm-hmm. where I have mine too. Because, and I got this, I think, from uh, either Dave Ramsey or from NerdWallet or something. But you know, for my after-tax income, I'll make sure that, Uh, rent, insurance, and utilities uh, don't go past about 30 to 35%. And one thing Mm -hmm. I noticed is that, you know, just from being an adult and having a full-time job now is that that's a mistake that plenty of people make paying way too much for an apartment or anything of that sort, because they're friends that I have or other people that I know that may have jobs that aren't paying as much of of a salary, but they're living in apartments that are more expensive than mine by at least $500. And so that's something that we should definitely consider because whenever you're spending unnecessary money on things like rent or a brand new car or anything of that sort, uh, you're definitely going to be in a spot where you can't put enough towards savings, enough towards investments, and it'll hurt you in the long run.
1: Very good point. Right. And so I'd like to combine categories. So rent, insurance, and utilities is all one category because most of the time, all of those things are almost directly in sync with one another. Right. And so Kamani mentioned an excellent book. Dave Ramsey is a phenomenal financial author. And I, I would encourage all of you to at least read one of his books because he does go over very similar things that we're talking about. But he is definitely more certified than Kamani and I are to, to talk to talk about this. And he's very successful about helping people get out of debt and just is a very good financial strategy in general.
0: Now, one of the things that we can touch on is sticking to the plan. And so to give a tip from my personal experience, even though I had the budget set up, there were plenty of times where I would still break the budget. And so one of the things that's helped me recently is making a separate bank account outside of my Wells Fargo one uh, through Chime. And so what I do with that is I take the certain amount of money that I'm supposed to have left over for miscellaneous expenses and such, for eating out, that sort of thing. And I transfer it over to my Chime account And the thing about the chime account is that since it's a standalone account by itself, it doesn't pull from my savings. Like my Wells Fargo card would if I go over what my amount is in my checking account. And so having the chime card, it makes me, it forces me to be disciplined because it gives me updates on my balance. Every time I make a purchase through notifications. And once you hit that zero amount, you hit the zero amount, you're done. And so that's one of the things that's definitely helped me to actually stick to the plan and be disciplined uh, ever since I started with that.
1: That's a very good point. And I actually had no idea that apps like that existed until just a few weeks ago when you first mentioned it to me. And I, I guess I've been doing it the old school way, but you know, there's another way to do it. And it helped me as a kid to really grasp the tangible value of money. So without going too know deep i used to have a lawn business when i was a kid developed it into a pretty substantial small business for you know a 17 year old and something my dad helped me work through is you know you're getting all this money great but you need to be doing stuff with it so what we did was we took all the income i would have for the previous month and allocate it for this coming month right because i was a cash business not necessarily an accrual but You know, that was my cash for the month that I could spend on food and gas and stuff like that. And so we would literally take envelopes and write out gas. We would write out food. And then we would say, okay, well, how much money do you think you should spend this month on food? And we put that many dollars in the envelope. It's a very similar concept to what Kamani is talking about. I am putting a hard limit on what I am spending and where am I spending it, right? So this really helps you start thinking about you know how much are you spending and you know that i also think i still think in terms of well how many hours of lawn mowing is this purchase going to be right it really helps me determine is this really worth purchasing will this make me you know 1.5 lawn mowing hours happy stuff like that and not only that, but when you hit your limit, you really know that you hit your limit and you feel bad about breaking that budget. That's what we mean by breaking the budget is going past the limit you set for yourself. And I don't know about you Kamani, but I definitely feel bad about myself if I break budget.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, I feel pretty bad because since I have saving goals that I'm trying to hit to be able to make purchases in the future, when I see that amount in my savings account not growing at the rate that I want it to, It definitely does make me feel bad. I know, like around Christmas time, that was when it was at its worst, you know, from buying presents, New Year's stuff, all those sorts of things. And I was thinking, wow, I made no progress, you know, for this whole month or this month and a half uh, when it came to building my savings. And so that was definitely the motivation to get more disciplined about it. I know that's a special circumstance with it being Christmas, but still, the thing is, if anything, I should make plans to have that extra money in my in my checking and cutting down another unnecessary expenses. So that way it doesn't make that much of a hit on my savings to where there's absolutely no progress, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. And it's important to have that growth mindset that we were taught. Right. So, yes, you may not have hit your goal this past Christmas, but you'll be more than prepared for this coming Christmas. Right. So that's something else that we need to we'll hit on in just a second. But, you know, to always be learning and always be changing your budget to improve your budget and stuff like that so you know if you have christmas and gift giving is that person's love language and you know that well in advance then you need to be saving up a little bit extra the preceding months that way you have enough to where you can expense it without breaking your budget
0: right and i'm glad that you brought that up and so now we can go ahead and touch on the last point and that is to review the plan And so would you like to elaborate on that a little bit for the listeners, Robbie?
1: Yeah, sure. I think that this is probably the most overlooked part of budgeting is going back and I call it auditing, but it's really more evaluating where you spent your money that month. And the reason why it's so overlooked is because it's a little bit tedious, but people also just don't want to know where they spent their money. They're more comfortable with just sticking their head in the sand and keep on going and going. But in my opinion, I think this is equally as important as sticking to the plan itself, because like I mentioned earlier, you need to be aware of where you're spending your money. And the reason why you do is so you can, A, have a tangible grasp of you know where you're spending your money, but B, also to just have a good practice of financial discipline. And how this looks is each month, this is what I do. And I think this is even a little bit overboard, but you know, you can do it once a quarter, once a month, even once a year. But what I typically do is once a month, I'll go back through my financial transactions and audit myself so I can know where I spent my money for that month, right? So I built myself a, a little budget tracking spreadsheet, which I recommend anybody do. You don't even have to build it yourself. You can go use Mint or, or something else, but just make a budget, <laughs> And so I flag any specific categories that I either overspent or underspent on my budget. And the reason I do this is because it helps me visualize what I did well, what I did wrong. And if I need to readjust any categories based on factors I can't control, then that's what you do. And the reason I think periodic review is immensely important is because you have to know where you're spending your money. That way you don't have a zero balance at the end of the month. And this is also a good habit to do before you share bank accounts with somebody. Is having this periodic reviews. It'll also It'll help reinforce the budget's importance and keep those in line who use your accounts, right? I, I think that reviewing the plan is incredibly important, and more people should do it. <laughs> what about you, Kamani?
0: I agree, and one of the things that comes from reviewing the plan especially when you're new to this sort of budgeting thing is that it will actually show you whether or not you're in the red for these months that you're in school. Because one of the things that I know that I missed whenever I would look over my finances and things is that I didn't realize that even though I was, I guess, somewhat budgeting for my big expenses, I was still ending up in the red because I wasn't accounting for the different expenses that would come after school. And so it got to the point to where I was spending more than I was making when it came to money from the summers when I was working, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's one thing that comes from reviewing the plan. You actually get to see just how well you're following a budget. You're also seeing some of those things that you miss and you can figure out things you need to do to supplement those gaps, you know, to fill in that negative 500 that you that you went into the red for the last uh let's say quarter or
1: something like that. Right. And something else that I think is incredibly important is the overarching theme of this podcast is financial responsibility is essentially financial security, right? So if you're financially responsible and you're consistent about it, you are going to set yourself up to be financially secure. And that is probably one of the most divorced over reasons is money. And, You know, if it's your goal to get married, then one of the things that comes with that territory is having enough financial security to bring someone else on your team and help support them. And so I think that this is an incredibly topic to have before entering adulthood. And I wish it's something I took a little bit more seriously when I was a young man.
0: Well, I guess one good thing about it is that we're still young. And so we have, I guess, plenty of time to make sure that that aspect of our life is taken care of. Uh, when it comes to saving, making those savvy financial decisions, uh, we have a good bit of opportunity that maybe some of our peers might not have to not make those mistakes, to be able to plan to avoid those sort of mistakes and not have those issues come up whenever we eventually get married, so.
1: For sure, good point.
0: Yeah, and so to go ahead and wrap it up, uh, I'll touch on one more thing And this might not be a popular one, but I'll say that one thing that college students should definitely avoid is financing a car. And so it seems like the norm to finance cars, same thing I said before about credit cards, just because something is the norm doesn't mean it's a smart thing to do. Honestly, I don't think financing cars in general is a smart plan because it's a depreciating asset. And so we talked about buying a a house in cash and that's not going to be something that's feasible for most people. But uh, for a car, they have plenty of used cars that are going to function just as well as a brand new one because they have a little use and it'll be half the price. You, can, I think you can get like a, I think like a 2015 or 2016 Honda and it'll be 10K, 12K less than the brand new one. And with the brand new one, I think is only like maybe in the 24, 25 range. And so it's just a much smarter decision and it'll only have maybe 50, 60,000 miles on it. And so that's just something I wanted to add as well. Uh, Being smart about those types of situations where you're buying a depreciating asset like a car, if it's something that you actually need, make sure you're smart about it and that it's something within your budget you can afford. And that if you're going to decide to make payments, that you actually put that into your budget and see if your income uh, makes that possible.
1: Right, you you touched on a number of beautiful things. And the first of all is when Kamani is saying depreciating asset, what he means is, you know, something that's losing value that you own. And new cars, I forget the exact percentage, but I wanna say it's between 60 and 70%, they lose the value of that car or that dollar amount the second it leaves the lot. So literally, when you drive off a lot, you lose 60% to 70% of that car's value, right? So buying a car that's a couple of years older is not something, You know worth damage i guess letting your ego get damaged if you have an ego because i did exactly that i bought a car from 2014 had less than fifty thousand miles on it and it was a bargain of a price because you know i was willing to accept that okay just because i have a new car doesn't make me any less of a man if anything it makes me smarter because i'm not you know gonna pay Three or four times the price for the newest thing because it'll still get me from point A to point B in an air conditioned comfort.
0: All right. And so that pretty much covers everything. And so before we go ahead and sign off, are there any last points that you'd like to make to the listeners? Anything you'd like to add?
1: No, but I, d- I did want to thank you for having me on, Kamani. This is a subject, you know, I'm very passionate about. I love helping other people. And I think that this podcast is. You know, it's very new. It's a new niche environment. I'm very fortunate to be a part of the, the ground framework here. Hey,
0: and I appreciate you being willing to come on and talk. I'm sure that people will get a lot of value from this episode, especially young guys around our age that might not have had the financial advisor experience that we've had. And, you know, from our experience, we can definitely help them to avoid some of those pitfalls that we hit, even with having finance backgrounds. But uh, hey, thanks again for coming on the show and hope you enjoy the rest of your day, Robbie.
1: You too. Every listener recommend this to three other listeners so we can get the spread going here.
0: Hey, please do so. All right, man. Take care.